The key is he had those other sheep that were not a part of the nation of Israel. The, uh, George. Yeah, a lot of times you don't pay much attention to some words, but I think when you pointed out Abba's present and Willow's future uh, on those those two. Yeah. No, that's just gloss over reading it. Exactly. That's, you know, frankly, that's the one of the benefit I have by working in the original language. It forces me to slow down a little bit and pay attention to what tense is that. But even so, you just race over it. And so that's kind of my job, help you pay. You know, you know how it is when you're reading through, maybe you read through the Bible in a year. Great. Then you come back and say, when did this book get to play? You know, it's been, you know, where did these verses been? Um, and same thing I was discovering even as I'm into the week and I'm reading and studying I'm still seeing the things. So there's goodies in there that just give fruit to careful, slow down reading. You know, some of you, if you if you've ever if you're functional in another language, Spanish, French, whatever it might be, sometimes you might think about that. Um, or that's a benefit to sometimes reading just in a different translation. Uh, it's a little it can strike you as a little jarring. But it, it might make you notice things a little bit more. But yeah, the, the, just those tenses I have, um, and they will. Where was that? Verse 16. Um, I have sheep which are not as fold. There will be one flock. So, um, he, But he has them now. And so that's emphasized. That's, that's where we see the, it's the issue is election going on there. There he is in terms of election. And that'll come up. In the next section as well, um, and that's where he used that expression: "You, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep." Logically, normally we would say, "You're not my sheep because you don't believe me." And so what he is saying is, you know, you don't get the cart ahead of the horse. The belief is a fruit of the election, not vice versa, or versa vice. <laughs> So, so there's a lot that's loaded into that. Yes? Just think about, you know, why were these Jewish believers or even some of the non-believers so twisted about the fact that these Gentiles were going to be added in? I mean, there were indications of that even in the Old Testament, right? You know, but then I think about, okay, how are we when people that don't look like us or act like us get saved and want to become part of the family I think there's a certain response that we have sometimes we shouldn't have. Um. Yes, so that whole um, anti-Gentile uh, tendency, now, it's not, you're right, there's, if they're reading the scriptures, they would see that it talks about it like in the kingdom, the nations will come to worship the Lord. Um, in Genesis 12, 3, and that's really a uh, maybe the first missions text when Abraham says in, in you all the nations it will be blessed and and so why this, the, the attitude towards the Gentiles partly um, because of their wretched idolatry and polytheism especially in the Old Testament remember I mean, child sacrifice uh, in it, but still in the New Testament days, um, 
all these gods and often associated with uh, immorality, the moral, the immorality of the Gentiles. And so that's where there was, I think, partly is. And then um, I don't know who disliked the other first, but uh, back, you know, we, we hear, we think of anti-Semitism today. There was anti-Semitism in the days of Jesus. Uh, there's a season, right, even mentioned, I think, in the book of Acts, where the Jews were kicked out of Rome. They just, you know, they just expelled them from Rome. And that, that came on later as well. You know, they're, they're, um, I think when Christopher Columbus uh, sailed the, the mighty blue, um, the Jews had been expelled from Spain. So the, you know, there have been seasons like that of this anti this anti-Semitism, this, and of course one of the struggles to see, see today is it's picking up again. Um, but yes, so but that whole idea that, that God would show his favor to the Gentiles was not something that um, they, they didn't receive that concept well. And um, that's, that's a struggle. You know, why, why, you know, they should have known better. And so it's kind of like us sometimes, you know, we need to make sure, are we really thinking about all the scriptures? Or are we thinking biblically about issues? Um, we should have known better, but if we read our Bible, and they should have known that God had a plan of mercy towards Gentiles. I think it kind of gets back to the, you know, verse 16 says, I must bring them to me. And, I mean, they're failing to recognize that they were brought. They were nothing greater than themselves, but I mean, uh, and as are we, you know, we've been brought, we've been redeemed, you know, it wasn't that we were such great people that the Lord decided to save us, right? You know, as you're saying that, um, in, in rabbinic Judaism, so not biblical Judaism, and that's a struggle, the rabbis um, brought their traditions and put them, added them to the scriptures. Uh, very much, and, and to me, the parallel is you see that in Roman Catholicism, where a lot of times there's the scripture, scriptural ideas and even scriptural narratives are somewhat different because they're seen through the eyes of traditions that are built onto it. In Jewish thinking, um, Abraham had the law. He knew God's Torah. Now think about that. When did the law come? Through Moses, 500 years later. But they said he, God, you know, he already had the law. Why was Abraham chosen? You know, we, we quote sometimes the passage where God says, you weren't a great people, but I chose you. And the whole point is, now we say, grace, unmerited favor. Not because he deserved it. God in his grace chose Abraham. Uh, in, in rabbinic tradition, um, he rejected the idolatry of his fathers. I think he even broke up, you know, destroyed an idol or something like this and got into trouble for that. So the whole point is he was a Torah-obeying monotheist, believing in the God of Israel. And so God, that's why God chose him. And that's, that's the struggle you get when we, when we make it a... Uh, an, an er, that blessing is earned. We start. We have to. We have a problem with scripture, and so they just change some of the narratives. And I could give you know. It, it, it's really interesting. Some of the various narratives 
the way they add to the story and fill in things that aren't in, in the scripture and are contrary to. Um, but that so that may be part of it. So Abraham was chosen because he was a go, good and godly man. The Gentiles are not good and godly. And we look at that and say, no one's good and godly. And, and that's where when Paul in Romans 3, you know, he has that whole series of there's none good, no, not one. No one seeks after God. His whole point is, um, let me go there real quickly. Um, and starting in Romans 3, 9, Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? We Jews better than those Gentiles. Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin, as it is written. And then he quotes from verse 9, all, or from verse 10, all the way through verse 20, or verse 9, 18, one thing after another from the Old Testament that speaks of um, the lost condition of man. There's no fear, there's, there's no fear before their eyes. Their feet are swift to judgment. Their throat is an open tomb. I'm going backwards. They've all turned aside, together become unprofitable. None who does good, no, not one. Uh, there's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. With Having said all that, then in verse 19 of Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. In other words, you can't take these verses and say that's talking about Gentiles. He's talking to the Jews and saying, you know, if no one seeks after God. Man has a fallen heart. Now again, in the Bible, and Christians uh, understand what we believe, a thing called um, original sin. That is that we have a sinful nature as a result of the fall. We've inherited a sinful nature. Where would I go to prove that? I'll go get a cup of coffee and a donut. What do you think about it? Romans 5. Okay, good. Romans 5. But let's say you don't have the New Testament. How would I show that to a Jew? I guess I could show up in Romans 5 and hope they didn't check where it was coming from. God put enmity between God and man. Okay, God's enmity between God and man? What's that? When Adam fell, yeah. You see it in the judgment, yeah, of all mankind. But they would I'd say that man did not inherit that. The Jew says man does not have a fallen nature. He has a capacity for good or evil. And they would say that there are some who have lived without sin. Uh, again, no, there's none righteous, no, not one, comes from the Old Testament scripture. But one of the passages I think of is in, in Psalm 51. In David's confession, he says, uh, I was conceived in sin. What's he saying? From the moment of conception, I was a sinner. Because he's explaining, where did this sin come from? And, and one of the things we need to remember, we, don't, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And so that's what David is saying. I sinned because I'm a sinner by nature. But the Jewish uh, understanding doesn't, to the rabbinic understanding, doesn't accept that. And so all that to say, so when they look at Gentiles, they say they don't deserve God's grace. Mm -hmm. To which I would say, 
You're right. <laughs> I agree. Um, but Jews don't deserve God's grace either. We are. There's no one no, who does good. There's none righteous, no, not one, to quote Paul quoting the scriptures. And so I think that's part of it, is they look at the wretchedness of the idolatry, the wretchedness of the immorality, and say, how can you think um, that, how could you think that God would show mercy to such? Compared to the nice descriptions that Jesus said for the Pharisees, right? Yeah. And when Jesus gets after them, you know, his whole point is you can look and you, he says, the problem is you look at the Pharisee and they look moral. And so what does he call them? Whited sepulchers. I don't know what the New King James or New American Standard says, but that's a great King James phrase. You white, you know, they whitewashed the graves, you know, so they wouldn't inadvertently get too close and be polluted by them. In other words, you look good on the outside, but your heart is corrupt. And, and that's true of any moral unbeliever. You, know, you can clean up the outside, but, but that doesn't change the heart. And that's the problem. Sometimes we want to focus on outward behavior without thinking about the heart. So, I th so that's the problem. So the, I, I think that's where that's coming from, is just this, the, the, the Gentiles were wretched. And um, kind of reminds me, I don't know, I keep thinking about this phrase of somebody um, said to a Bible teacher, he said, you know, um, I, I'm really troubled that you're talking about God still has a plan for, for the Jewish people. There. Wouldn't you agree they're such wretched people? And the Bible teacher said, well, I would agree. Well, the Jews are a wretched people. Matter of fact, they're so bad, they're almost as wretched as the Gentiles. <laughs> you know, we, all of mankind is fallen. All of mankind needs God's grace. But I think not, not that, that starting place of the fallenness of man is not part of rabbinic theology. And the whole point is, it's a merited favor. You earn God's approval, and Abraham did. And that's where they could, like a Paul, say, I'm right before God because of my behavior. So I, I guess I would have to, and I'm just kind of guessing now, but that's where that anti-Gentile thing comes from. And is that not a good reminder for us? Sometimes we might look at people and say, how can you have given your life over to that sin? Look at the way you're living. Look at this and that. What is the phrase sometimes that's used there, but for the grace of God, go I. There is no sin out there that I am not capable of. And I need to have that and, and, and know that, that, that this is a heart capable of sin. And so when I see someone a slave to that sin, I should grieve for the bondage of slavery instead of feel like somehow I'm better than they are. Any difference you do see is God's grace. Any similarity to them, that's my, that's my effort. <laughs> like we, we ricochet off of both bumpers because then now uh, some fairly high-profile people say, well, yeah, these people are engaged in this behavior, but they're better Christians than... That we are like, well, okay, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, we're only only by the grace of God are we are where we are, but that doesn't mean that 
it's okay to continue. Uh, I guess he's holding sin, if you will. Yes, so, so we don't approve the sin. We don't um, accept that. In a, uh, um, um, yes, there's a recent preacher that has been saying, um, you know, yeah, these people are involved in uh, terrible immorality, but look at their their great strength of faith. They keep coming to church thinking that they'll... Um, they should, even though they know they're going to find rejection or something, and their faith is greater than mine. Uh, I, I think that's kind of sideways thinking. Instead of saying, I, I keep thinking of what Jesus said to the adulterous woman. He showed great mercy and compassion, but what did he say? Go and sin no more. He did not say, hey, you know, you're, you're pretty, you know, you're doing okay. Just saying. He confronted the sin. And, and so that's where I think we can say, um, yeah, there but for the grace of God go I. But especially if someone you know, is professing to be a believer, then that opens up a whole new category of there's a disconnect here. Now, if a person says they're an unbeliever, then there's no disconnect. <laughs> um, there you are. Yeah, so that's, so that's where you can see where someone takes what I've been saying and could take it in the wrong direction. So that's a good... Keep it within the narrow there. Any other thoughts on any of that? Uh, the division arose <clears throat> because of what Jesus was saying still going on today. Yeah. A pretty hot response. To it. He is demonic. He is insane. And if they say that of Jesus, what will they say of us? What, what are they saying of us? You know, we're... You know, instead of saying demonic and insane, they speak of us as haters. Uh, intolerant. What's that? Intolerant. Intolerant, uh, ignorant often, um, uh, unaware of science, uh, whatever you might say. And what did Jesus say? Don't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me. But the whole point is, there's no reason to hate Jesus. We can kind of deserve some hate sometimes. You know, you can see where someone could find something to, that's objectionable in my life. But Jesus was loving and gracious and right perfectly. And they still hated him. So, um, yeah. So don't be surprised when that's the response to the truth and the light. You know, somebody who says they don't think, they, that Jesus was God, that he was a good preacher, but a teacher... They, they can't have read the Bible. I mean, it's very clear in this, even this section, that he was saying he was God. Yes, and that's, so there are some that would say Jesus never claimed to be God. First, have you read the Bible? But secondly, then there are those, uh, and you hear about this sometimes in the historical Jesus, the, you know, they, they, um, when they see something like that, they'll say, well, that's a later edition. Jesus wouldn't have said that. No. You know, so that's, so in other words, he didn't say it because he wouldn't say it. Because he wasn't God. You, know, you see how, how do you argue with that? So any, any place where he says he is God, they say, well, he didn't say that. Oh. Someone else put that in, in there. And that's where like textual criticism comes in. We increasingly find the older and older manuscripts, closer and closer to when they were written, 
So the idea of, the, of being a later addition becomes less and less um, you know, harder and harder to maintain. But that's, you're right, part of the problem is just read the Bible. He did claim to be God. It's very Again, we've seen the passage in Romans, or John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And, and, and we'll see too where you know, they pick up stones to kill him because he made himself equal with God. So they heard it, they understood it. Uh, we'll see that here in chapter 10 of John. Um, so those that say he didn't claim to be God, they're just not dealing with the evidence. That's like someone saying, it's not going to rain today. Well, at some point, how do you argue with that? Okay. So in, in, in my truth, it is raining. <laughs> because in my truth, my coat is wet. <laughs> Again, I, I think it's, you know, it would have been so hard, you know, the, that whole idea of Jesus' grace towards Gentiles. I wonder how much they were really understanding. Who are these other sheep? You know, how much were they really following and understanding what he was saying? But a part of it is we hear that and it's clear. Oh, he's talking about the Gentiles because we can look at it from hindsight. Oh, the message did reach the Gentiles. We see the fulfillment here. Um, but that was, you know, I wonder if, at that point if his di disciples even were really grasping what he was saying. You know, who are these other sheep? Who would they be? But we see his grace in, in, toward us. Any other thoughts or reactions on that? <clears throat> thankful. Yeah, it's thankful. Good, great scriptures. And if I may just uh, make an advertisement for our next passage, uh, when we go on to, in John chapter 10, there are some tremendous things to be said ahead of us. So again, I broke it at verse 21 because there's that break. In verse 22, now it was the Feast of Dedication. So there, we've, we've jumped a couple months. And that's where John helps us sometimes to, to give us a little clue. This, you know, it, it's, Our text has it in the, just the next verse of the chapter. But John says, oops, there was another festival that brought him back to and brought the crowds back to Jerusalem. And that's the Feast of Dedication, as we'll mention. That's Hanukkah. Hanukkah dedication is the translation of the word Hanukkah. Um, and it was winter. That's what Hanukkah is. So and then, and so we see Jesus walking, but in that wonderful passage, he is going to make some of those incredible statements, again, about sheep hearing his voice. Um and some important passages that, that you want to underscore in your Bible if you haven't. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so that's that whole issue of eternal security. We're kept again, not because of our goodness, because of God's grace. He has us in his hand. And, and so that's a tremendous passage we'll unfold um, next time in, in chapter 10. I thought it was interesting how he, he said six different times about the, the good shepherd lays down his life, or I lay down my life like six times in those few verses there uh, that you read this morning. 
six times in that statement. Some, uh, something, one of those, a statement about laying down his life is in there. Absolutely. And so one of the things we have to think is, is that an important point in that passage? <laughs> Repetition. So, and, and so, so that whole thing of Jesus didn't expect the cross. Here he's laying it out. I am going to lay down my life and, and the resurrection and I will pick it back up. And so, so the cross, you know, so, so the idea that there was no cross in Jesus' message, um, that's just not there. Well, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Um, we'll gather together on Wednesday, men and women, and do our studies. Ladies in Psalm 32, men in our book, a rare jewel of Christian contentment. And... Um, then we'll come back next Sunday and, and continue on in John chapter 10. And, and uh, so he picks up basically the same kind of theme months later. Uh, let's pray and then we'll have our song. Father, we are so thrilled with your word. We confess, Lord, it's grace. We have not deserved, we have not earned. Your salvation is to us as your gift. And how we thank you for our Savior who laid down his life that we might have life. And he took up his life again in resurrection, giving us the assurance of our resurrection with him. So, Father, how we are thrilled with your word. May we continue to see and understand and grow. In Jesus' name I pray.